created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Morley Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. And on this show, everyone has an opportunity to ask questions of me or my guests by requesting to hop on stage or just sending a message in the chat box. Today's guest is Kimberly Bell. Kimberly is a minister and author of the memoir, The Epitome of Kimmy. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Lori. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So, you know, you have been through so much. You, at just such a young age, you, um, you experienced domestic violence, and obviously, that kind of led to so much, so many other traumas in your life. Um, can you go ahead and talk about your story a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's. Um, you, you just jogged a memory when you said um, so much in my life and, you know, the, the domestic violence immediately, I went back to what I actually, um, my foundation of seeing from um, small, which was a physical altercation between my father and my, my mother. And the last traumatic experience was he had um, my sister and I in the car with him and um, my mother was in the front seat and we rode around until obviously I believe that he was trying to get us to be watched. But anyway, um, his fist and his hands landed on her face everywhere and just blood. I just remember blood just, you know, going down her face and her crying and yelling and him yelling and, and just that traumatic physical altercation that I witnessed that I seen, I found myself into situations like that once I got older. Like, I'm just like, oh my gracious, but it was so traumatizing back then to see and then to be so confused about, is this love or is this not? How can mm. someone behave this way or react this way and have someone, and have someone that you love, I'm looking at my birth mom that I love so much, be in pain and crying and hurt and I'm helpless. I could not help her. And so, you know, I found myself going in this journey of my life thus far and seeing repeated cycles and feeling the same helpless situation of me in until I had to choose better, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that's and that's typically a hard choice even though it seems from the out an, an outsider to to make a change. It's it's like, why wouldn't you make a change? But but that can be a really difficult, difficult thing to to get out of um, just right. mentally. Um, I, I, I see that Kevin um, is actually wanting to to um, make a comment. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much. He just wanted to thank us for doing this. I really appreciate that. And please feel free to speak up or say anything if you'd like to. Well, Kimberly, so, and, you know, that kind of leads to me to my question, you know, 
how do you get out of that situation that you've experienced just traumatic trauma and just how do you move through that? It's a process. I can tell you that. And I found that I had to get to a place individually in myself to want it for me, not for my kids, but want it for me, want a life differently, a life that I was seeing myself just living, living and not thriving, living into um, depression, anxiety, impulsiveness, Um, you know, and using um, the coping skills that was not working (laughs) because we all have different coping skills and different styles that we have to do, you know, to um, make ourselves feel better or to uh, live a um, progressive life. And some of the coping skills I had to take a hard look at and say, you know, even though I thought it was working, it was not working physically. It was affecting my body. I went into a work mode where I tried to work myself to death, tried to numb my pain. I um, went through an episode in my life, the depression, where I just wanted to come home and sleep. I just, if I wasn't um, taking care of my children as far as the physical con- uh, concept of the mother role, then I would sleep. I just, Look, if I sleep away, maybe I could sleep the pain away, you know. Um, So um, and it was never, thank God, you know, drugs or alcohol. But I do remember also feeling um, this coping techniques with with men, with other people that I was um, trying to immediately get validation or acceptance and then saying, okay, so then you accept me. Obviously, you need to be in my life. You know, um, whether you bring um, disrespectfulness or physical or mental or um, emotional abuse, just as long as you're in my life. I just don't want to feel the alone. I don't want to feel the abandonment. I don't want to feel that I'm not worthy to be with. You know, so I had to really choose to really take a hard look at myself and accept first the broken foundation and why I was thinking this way, why I had these repeated cycles. And that was I ready to just finally choose me, learn to live me, live for me, learn to love me with all the flaws and how I was created and and, and, t- and take this and, and listen at this when I had to start to really find and learn how to love me, I had to go back and to accept just the type of person I am because we're all, our characteristics, our personalities are different. And I'm like, as I explored my memoir and started um, really investing in me, I'm a genuine kind person. This is just part of me. (laughs) I'm a very peaceful, passionate, passionate person. And um, everybody's not for everyone, but I had to accept just how I'm created. I'm a very loving, I'm very kind. I can be crazy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, at that same time, I had to take the time and stop looking for validations or stop feeling, stop yearning and grasping for someone to love or accept that kind person or that loving person because I had to learn to accept it myself. Mm-hmm. which I had never took the time to do until I got, like you said, I, t- I had to go through this, these processes and unhealthy um, relationships and lifestyles with even family members. It wasn't just so much of um, 
um, partners, you know, different sex partners, but even family members, even down to my children, relationship to my children, I had to really accept and take a process of me, invest in me. And once I gave myself that big, biggest gift and um, starting to learn, love me for me, I started really changing my whole life as far as choosing my different coping skills, um, um, building my support system, uh, strengthening my support system, because I've always had a relationship with God, but I had to choose as I was changing, you know, my lifestyle and giving me this biggest gift and that was invested in me is um, strengthen that relationship uh, my way. I have an a, a amazing Amazon playlist because I love all types of music. So I even have different podcast uh, segments of um, just inspirational quotes and inspirational talks do that will come in after maybe an R&B song. But it's for me. It works for me. I do my nature walks. And when I do my nature walks, I cut just all my music and then I just talk just like I'm talking to you. I just talk to God and I just let him know, you know, the gratefulness of my life and then my worries and my stresses and my current concerns. I just start talking and if I don't get that nature walk in, I've learned to get it in when after I've taken my daughter to school on my way back home, because this was this is what worked for me. I have to continue to build what I want. And from what I found out is building and investing in, in time and what I want, and which is a stronger relationship with him, because I'm going to need it with going back on a date and seeing challenges and struggles and obstacles that you're going to we all face. Uh, in this earthly life, changes just happens. And I remember Mike making a quote on that. Changes do happen and we have to learn to adjust with it. We will have to learn to go with the changes in our life. So it's just definitely been a process, but it's also been um, a, a, a blessing and as such a rewarding journey that I'm, I am so blessed that I'm able to inspire the good and the bad and to be so transparent as as much as I can on um, just to be able to help someone else. Amazing. You, you, I, mean, I wanted to ask, um, how long did it take you to be able to get to a point where you're like, when you decided I needed to make changes? Because for most people, it could take 20, 30, 40 years to do this. You're absolutely right. It really took last year. Um, I was in my 40s and not saying that I can I can tell you going through some of the processes um, confirm the change needed to be made, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. OK, but to really be as determined and hard, like I remember saying and I and I also just randomly I'll speak it out loud because I'm mindful what I speak out in the atmosphere. You know, I would say I, I fight hard for peace and I fight hard to keep it. Mm-hmm. So such situations in my forties had happened that just confirmed and prepared me to really get to this point And of last year. And my book was released. And yeah, now saying that, that even helped even with, because once that book got released and I was able to 
live what I put down on paper and was able to accept and embrace. This is my life. This is my truth. This is what happened to me. I have really accepted and embraced broken foundations, generational curses that I had at 15 built in my mind when I had my first child to stop, to go against um, uh, the uh, re religious um, taboo. Um, I had, I was able to accept and embrace that I was the one that's taking a stand that said, yes, I'm still going to have one of the best relationships between me and God and who I know that loves me and who I was raised to learn about and to trust. But also I am going to have to have a mental therapist in my life mm -hmm. that will have, is built also in my support system to go through this earthly life. I, I need it and I'm going to have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So I'm just like, I'm so proud of that courageousness of being able to um, explain to you that the, 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 the processes and the different processes of um, that has happened to me may be happening to someone else as far as writing a, in their journal or even taking that one step to go to a mental therapist and then that is a step towards changing their their life, you know. Absolutely. And I really loved when you when you were talking about making that change to to kind of shift your mindset and get the help. And you decided, I'm going to take care of me. I think for a lot of us, especially, you know, you know, in the 90s, no, you, you, if you thought like, oh, I'm just going to take care of me, that was that was kind of considered selfish. It was very much like a um, an environment where, oh, you live for other people, you do things for other people, but that just takes so much away from you, yes, yourself. Like you, there's not enough to give other people if you don't focus on yourself. And I think this is where that whole mindset needs to change. You yes. know, self care is not selfish. You yes. know, you can't pour from an empty cup. There's a reason why people say on the airplanes, you know, put put your face mask on first. Put put your oxygen mask first, because if you're putting someone else's oxygen mask on and they can't do it themselves, and then they then you you pass out, no one's getting help. <laughs> so, um, you know, this really applies to everyone. Right. Self-care is extremely important. And, and I love that you said that. And when you, and you, I love that you said, when you started focusing on you, you realized that there was this change because people, that energy that you're giving out uh -huh. when you're sad and depressed, uh -huh. when you're not taking care of yourself, People can feel that energy and it's draining. Right. But when you feel re-energized and you feel that you that you're whole, people can feel that too. That's just as contagious. And it I think is. that is so it much is. more powerful to be able to do that. Yes, you're absolutely right. And like you said, I know for me in my the generational era that I was in was um, especially when I had my first child was now you have a child, you you have even more, you take care of your child, your child is your life. And so I remember staying in situations for years for my children. But as you said, once I got it, now I'm incorporating to my adult children and I have four of them and I have my many, but I have four adult children and the three girls, especially, I said, take care of you. Mm -hmm. Take care of you. How are you feeling? 
what are you doing about you? <laughs> you know? Right. So I'm breaking that. Yeah. 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 That's breaking generational yes. cycles. Yes. It's- yes. So at the age of 15, yes, you became pregnant. How was that for you? before you as a as a child and a child who was who felt abandoned who was who was dealing with so much how was that it was it was just like um a a fog you know how you go i can better explain it like if you were you know how a fog comes and out of nowhere, you're going through a fog. And before you know it, you're through it. Yeah. That's what it seemed. I'm serious. This is how it seemed, Lord, of my pregnancy. Because mind you, mentally, I was going through so much. At 12 or 13, I had already endured something that was so confusing to me with my um, extended family member, which was supposed was introduced to me as my uncle with, um, you know, the... Um, um, sexual molestation. Um, And so that happened uh, almost a year underneath my adopted parents' home. So, and I'm so confused because he continued to say that he loved me. He, he, I I was his camp. He loved me. He loved me. And then I was confused with the church background because my parents trusted him all because he had gave his life to Christ. And he was saying that he was in church. But at the same time, this stuff was happening to me at night, you know, while they were in bed. So moving on from that, that was like my first sexual intimacy experience with my body changing that the first time that I actually had sex was I got pregnant. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and I remember actually having that first time experience of having sex too. I might as well. It wasn't that like I really wanted to. It was like right. I might as well do it because uh, this is, you know, hey, mm-hmm. you know. So when that happened, and then mentally being with a generational era, my adopted parents were m- much much older, and they were really heavy in church, where she was very clear about she did not care she even said i don't care if you were 12 or 13 we do not believe in abortions i don't want to hear it you got yourself into this and now you are Mm. a woman and so Lori, i'm hearing this as this little frank i used to run cross country I, i think they call it different now but uh yeah back then um i couldn't run you know short distance but i was you know then and you know, petite and this whole changing body experiences. And, but mentally I'm hearing these words in the back of my head as my body is changing and this baby is forming inside of my, inside of me is that I'm a woman now. What do I do? How do I, um, you know, fit the role, uh, you know, fill the shoes of this woman that she's talking about that I'm a woman. I got to do it. Anything that I got to do, I got to do that. So mentally, I was shot. And as I said, it was like going through a fog. And the day that I, as I was giving you that visualization, um, going clear from the fog is when I had her on my due date. And I was so mentally and emotionally shocked, I couldn't even cry. I remember the doctor and I still remember his name as today. He said to me, Kim, 
and because I, I guess he could see my expression. I was the youngest one at, on, on our, in the whole hospital in our hometown. Um, he said, Kim, you can cry. So when he laid her in my arms and he said that, it was like he had to give me permission. And I just bawled. Mm. Yep. Wow. You, so this, the person who fathered your first child, mm -hmm. what happened to him? He was, he was in my life. He was in my life for about two years. Mm -hmm. um, and he was the first one that introduced me pretty much with the physical um, altercation. We had got um, into it, like, you know, as couples did, he was older. Um, and um, of course, after I got pregnant and um, I had my child, by him, my parents, you know, accepted him because, of course, you know, I'm in that role of I got to do now what a woman would do. So they didn't mind him coming over. They didn't mind, you know. So um, I remember one of the uh, arguments that we had and I remember the first slap. And I was scared to really tell my mom about it. Um, and it was like deja vu. It was like I remember this type of treatment from my dad so maybe it's okay mm. he says he loves me you know maybe it's okay so yeah yeah wow and and but how did you feel about it how did you feel that you had this person in your life did you want him in your life um yeah and it was because of i dealt with I, I was still struggling with the rejection and abandonment. Mm. And you said you were with him for about two years. I was. I had two children by him. I was with him for, yeah. The other second child came in just before I turned, uh, they're almost two years apart and 10 days. And I remember just like that was yesterday. I, I you know, I'm very transparent about my story. I was just careless. I really didn't care. I gave up. I gave mm -hmm. up by the time I really gave up on myself by the time she was born because I figured I had failed. I had failed my parents by getting pregnant the first time. Now that I'm a woman, I remember coming home um, from school and I was a very, and that's why one of the chapters says a silent cry because even in that generation, a child, you know, even though they said that I'm a woman now, you, I still was looked at as a child. You don't say, but so much. And what goes on at home stays in the home, but you don't tell how you feel. You're, 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 you're too grown if you said that you're, and, and Lord, don't go around saying you're mad. Mad and you're a child and staying underneath grown people's that's <laughs> oh, <laughs> feeding you. You you're gonna be you're gonna be slapped or kicked out, you know. But so I I I didn't share. I was going through so much and here my older sister's not there. All of us are still in the hometown, but my birth mother, I, I have I don't have any connection or communication with her. So going back to school after having a child in the 70s, that wasn't heard of. That wasn't typical. So I'm getting looks. I lose friends. You know, it's just a mental state. I'm worn down. I'm feeling even more unworthy. So I remember coming home and I just said to my mother, my adopted mom, I said, I decided I'm going to quit school. I'm going to go to get a job. And her answer was, her, well, her response was, okay. Okay. So in 11th grade, I quit. 
and I'm still dealing with, you know, the the, the first, her, um, her, their father. And this is when it got more careless. I just didn't care. And so I'm having unprotected sex by him and I got pregnant again. And we have our, we had two children together. And then, then after, when she came, the, then the, the, the uh, physical altercations got worse because he had another friend. He was, you know, cheating and going out and whatever. And I was still trying to hold on, not wanting to be abandoned, not being, don't want to be rejected, thinking that this man's going to have to be in my life, going to have to be in my life now forever. And um, the fights was going, was definitely getting worse. I remember one time we were at his cousin's house and he threw a batch of keys right in my face just before I started working all because he was upset with the fact that we, we got an argument and I said, I'm, I got to go to my job. I just got this new job and never had a problem getting a job, even with quitting school. But um, yeah, he was, you know, threw a whole batch of keys in my face. And uh, mind you with, his, with us being at his cousin's house, um, we couldn't stay there, but it was a very, the, the, the violence got worse. Um, and so by the time I got pregnant with her, I said, this is it. And then I really had to, something just a light bulb came out and said, this is just not worth it. I think his other friend was getting involved, another female, and she wanted to fight me and everything. I said, no, this is not, this is just not worth it. So we broke up, but it, it just seemed those repeated unhealthy cycles and me allowing those things to happen kept repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is interesting that you say like you were careless and I don't want to say like, oh, you were just like, oh, I don't care what happens to me. But I think it, it, it's, it's safe to say that people who experience trauma, you know, experience continuous trauma because the trauma leads to other maladaptive coping skills. And for you, because if you were to care so much it might be too, it would, it would, it would have been too much. You couldn't do anything about your situation at that point, at least, you know, with, with the resources you had. Right. So, you know, and I, and I make this point whenever I, I talk to anybody who talks about like, oh, I was sexually molested and then I became promiscuous and then I got into drugs and alcohol. These are, these are textbook symptoms of PTSD. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, and I think it's unfair for anyone to say you're a bad person because you're, you're a careless person. You just did all these terrible things. You're, you know, the, these are symptoms of PTSD and I feel like we should not put any fault on anyone. And, and honestly, when I, I remember going into treatment and saying, you know, I was, I was you know, promiscuous. I, you know, people called me a slut and I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Um, and it was really because, and, 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 you know, she, my, and my therapist looked at me and was just like, no, that's, she's like, I don't like that. I don't like you using the words promiscuous or using, calling yourself any derogatory name because this is, you didn't do this just to be, you know, just because you did this because you needed to cope in some way. You needed to find love in some way. You needed to feel love. You needed to feel validated because everyone needs that. And when you don't get that as a child, you seek it in other places. And it's it, it does not mean that you're a bad person or whatever. But um, I appreciate you being transparent with that because I feel like that 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 that's what happens to so many people. Um, 
and 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 thank you so much for your transparency. Um, I wanted to ask why why did you decide to write your book? Um, you know, I have. I'm just now turning around in my office. I'm looking at this bucket list and amazingly I had um, seven things that I put on a bucket list. And the third one, um, the fourth one says, have my memoir completed by the end of 2017. So I'm going to take you back from 2017 being in the ministry and uh, the way my life journey started panning out as I quit in 11th grade, as I talked about, and then I went back to school and um, I got, I, I enrolled in a, program here in our hometown that was the first um, a new program it called an external high school diploma where they had candidates that you enroll and you get the same high school you know diploma as if you were you if you went to your high school and I went and I struggled because I had to have a teacher that got hard on me but anyway make a long story short I ended up to be one of the chosens out of the five to be able to speak about my, um, you know, enrollment and how as a mother of four children was able to, you know, complete and, you know, share, you know, be able to inspire other, other people. So as I'm going through these journeys, periodically during my occupations and working, I would be able to, you know, share when it's appropriate things about my life and saying, okay, I quit school or I remember getting this job or, you know, um, you got to be persistent or sometimes you just have to be determined. And, you know, a lot of no's Mm -hmm. just doesn't mean, you know, you're going to get that. Yes. Believe me, I've got a lot of no's. Um, And um, far as educational um, barriers and intellectual barriers, I would be at the time that it would be appropriate to say, yes, I I work extra hard. I struggle. Even when it comes to someone saying a test, I get anxious. And but it will not stop me. It did not stop me from getting a degree. So as I'm sharing that with you, when COVID came, I remember it just sat me down and I and I started thinking about my life and started thinking about how many people had said, oh, my gracious, you have a story to tell. Like your life is is like a, a movie and how it helped periodically certain people from youth to young adults, um, me sharing bits and pieces of my story to it just was like I'm talking to you. Something said now or never. You need to put all your story, everything that you went in uh, as far as your journey on paper. And I'm going to reveal. And now I know nothing but God. I'm going to reveal some things to you and you're going to be set free. I felt like I was in a bondage. I felt like I wasn't in the bondage because I never really accepted and embraced my journey. I really never was sat down and accepted and embraced broken foundations that I can choose and I have the right to build, build as God has created it for me to be. This, the sensuality, the intimacy, the, um, the, um, the healthy, the well mom, the well friend, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you, when you, when you talk about your, um, your your recovery you know and and you talk a lot about you know your parents being super religious 
How did that lead you down this path of ministry? Um, um, well, I, it seemed like I had a spiritual connection even from, I was small. Um, I wrote it in my book, um, when I was diagnosed for mild retardation, but I was really, I really should have been, um, diagnosed with PTSD. And I couldn't remember. I was in resource for this my my whole elementary school year, so to sixth grade. And um, if you got me to a number, let's say twenty or twenty five, the next day I couldn't remember. I couldn't get back to twenty five. I might get back to seventeen, but it was just a memory loss. It just I couldn't retain. I could just not retain information. So I had to re um, repeatedly go over a book over and over and over to grasp those um those uh which the skilled words mm-hmm. you know those the sight words that the, the children have to learn now then my six-year-old got on i'm looking at her little skilled words now so i had to you know work on that for six years but i remember they said on paper that i would never read or write effectively and I would be a statistic that, you know, it was mild retardation that I would, you know, just would not definitely be a college graduate. So I remember in sixth grade and that was like my second prayer to God. And that was that I just didn't want to be different. And it was just a childlike prayer. So I knew I always had the spiritual connection. The first one was that night that I stayed in um, my adopted parents house when my dad dropped me off from that traumatic fight that mm-hmm. me and my sister witnessed. And he said to me, he would be back. And it seemed like they already had a room prepared for me. And I was scared to tell them not to cut off the light, but they did leave the door open. I was scared to tell them not to cut off the light. And I just remember vividly crying, wondering if my dad was going to come back the next day and what was my sister doing. But I also was crying in a spiritual connection saying that if I get up tomorrow and I'm still here, I'm going to be all right. I didn't know how, but I was going to be okay. So I had the spiritual, and, and what my adopted dad did, he, I give him so much, you know, um, you know, honor because hmm. he cultivated it. He instilled the scriptures. He um, also, he would just not let me, um, believe that this world that we're created in, that God had allowed me to be there and underneath their roof, that it wasn't love. And there was a love different from him, which was God's love. So that, in a sense, took me into the ministry whole and I say, and I, and now I say, you know, I, I minister almost every day because I found that doing the denomination and so many um, so many religious leaders or so many people that talks about, you know, spirituality and stuff like that, you know, pinpoints the pulpit, which is fine if that's what they believe as far as themselves. But I, I, I found that you don't have to be just a minister in a pulpit. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's how it, it took me there. But he, he, I remember um, he put his foot down immediately and both of my parents were very religious in church, but my mother would get very emotional about things. 
and she would say, um, I don't understand why you would want to go with someone that don't want you when I would, you know, get into my um, anxious mode and I would go to one episode and I start crying. I was like eight or nine years old and start saying, I want to go to my mom. Now, I knew she wasn't connecting with me, but I always initiated wanting to connect with her. That's she she and my biological parent father mm -hmm. was all I knew. And I said, I want to go. I want to see my sister. I want to go with my mom. I want to live with my mom. And she would get in her feelings and her emotions because, you know, she's doing everything that she can do for me as a mom. I'm looking at her in her view. And she says, I don't understand why you want to go with someone that doesn't want you, that treated you bad. And, da, da, da. and he would stop her or he would just be like, we're not going to do this. We are not going to do this. We're going to teach her love. Hmm. It's okay that she wants to be with her. It's okay that she wants to see her siblings. Yeah. So he, he kept that foundation, that spiritual foundation. He cultivated it for me to be, you know, where I am now. And I just, I, I love to inspire now. And it's in a different way than what even I was underneath, um, was an elder and I even had my church at one time um, to be able to say to um, people, you, you find your relationship. It may not look like mine, but as long as you have a relationship with a spiritual being or, you know, that's how I have to put my support system in play. Wow. that That's amazing that you actually had this person guiding you because I think that's another thing. Um, people who are able to thrive um they there's there's at least one person in their life who says you know this was what's this is right this is you should feel loved you should feel validated and i i think i, I mean i think it's amazing what do those people say who said who diagnosed you mildly retarded like you are now an author of a book <laughs> um how does that make you feel i know I know I, it, it's amazing to me still it's amazing to me still and just makes me feel um so good that um i had this resilience and i was just determined that um you know and you're right you know about people and i remember my godmom as you were saying that i remember my godmom she was the very first one um that said, uh, and she has a country <laughs> country accent because she's from Huntsville, Alabama. She says, how do you so smart? You so beautiful. And I just mounted. And I was like in my late 30s, but that was the first time I ever heard someone say that to me. Oh my gosh, in your late 30s. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That, is, that is really hard. And I think that and, and and I love that you did mention like this was it should have been diagnosed PTSD. Um, I didn't know I didn't even know that PTSD affected anyone but veterans up until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I struggled with a lot of um, behavioral issues, a lot of of um, you know when it come to came to education, I I was not. I, I didn't do well in school. Um, I was diagnosed ADHD, um, which is also a sign of PTSD. There's so many things, um, so many symptoms of PTSD that, that can be diagnosed to in other things. I was also diagnosed bipolar, um, mm. which 
after going into treatment, they were like, no, you are absolutely, you are definitely not bipolar. You have PTSD. And it was like a light bulb went off like, oh my gosh, some, I had no idea. And, and it really did help knowing that what I had gone through because I, 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 I'm a childhood sexual abuse survivor um, which, like I said, led to other other traumas, put me in really um, traumatic situations, um, just trying to cope, all these maladaptive coping skills. Um, but it was, it was interesting because, you know, up until a few years ago, I thought I just suppressed, you know, the abuse. And so it has no effect on me. That's what I kind of told myself. I just don't want to think about it. And honestly, this is what my mom would say. If you don't think about it, it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but that is not true. <laughs> um, it, and, it, and it did affect me. And it really affected who I th- what I thought was my personality, which is not. Um, and I think we, we, we need to start asking ourselves, well, if we're struggling with something, what is it? What happened to me? Mm-hmm. instead of like what's wrong with you you know right but i do want to ask is there is there anything that you would like to add you know you yeah um, no not really <laughs> you know, it's, you're absolutely right about the misdiagnosis you know i'm just you know it's the 70s and i'm so glad that now they're doing better testing and and they're you know I know it's a lot of other diagnoses and um, descriptions of different, you know, mental illness, but at least we're getting somewhere to the fact that, you know, it is, it is there, it is out there and it can be treated. And, you know, I, I still, um, I went through um, just not too long ago, my um, adopted mother passed away. So I have reached out because I haven't, I've been so busy with my work and everything. And since that had happened and which is another disruption in my life. And I had to deal with some, some things that hasn't been, has been painful, has been hurtful because of, I spoke my truth and my book is out. Um, My, you know, certain family members are, you know, upset with me. Don't want, you know, you know, and so Mm. I, um, I reached out to her and I started having my sessions again because I know that that's what works for me and that's what's needed. And she, she knew when I, when I, she didn't even know about what had happened recently, but I told her, you know, before I set up the schedule, she said, well, can you wait until, um, you know, are you good? You know, what's, what's happened? And I told her, I said, you know, I, I already know, you know, the book is out and everything. I said, but my mother that raised me just passed away. And she said, okay, Kim, okay. All right. Let me let me look at my schedule. And, you know, because they know, you know, like you said, you know, there there's a change that's happening in your life unexpected or expectedly. And um, we have to be able to cope with it the best way we can. And so I make the choice to cope with it the best way I can to not regress, but to be better, to, to mm. come out of this better, not bitter, but better. No. I love that. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you and, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your platform. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you. Well, that was Kimberly Bell, minister and author of The Epitome of Kimmy. To learn more about Kimberly, you can go ahead and click on that fortune cookie right there on your screen, and that will go ahead and send you straight to her website. Or you could just head over to atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. Kimberly has also contributed to March's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can also find at my website at tstpodcast.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. Join me next week on Fireside Chat when author, podcaster, and achievement coach Karen Millen and I discuss creating a beautiful divorce. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care.